Father God, yes, we are in the war. The battle belongs to you. And Lord, you have already resolved and settled all of these issues that we're actually going through. So we give you praise for the completion of the work that you've begun, even in the foundation of the world and even in the culmination. And I thank you, Jesus, for giving us eyes to see that, ears to hear, heart to re, uh, to realize that, to be not afraid, to know that you are in control, that you love us and that you have all of these things under control. I thank you for dying on the cross for us. I thank you for doing that because it had to be done. I thank you for taking um, your life and exchanging it for our lives, giving it for our lives, your blood for our blood that we might be, uh, would, could be taken off of the chopping block, Satan's chopping block of hell. I thank you for defeating this, the forces of darkness that day on the cross. I thank you uh, for giving us your love and the promises of your commitment to keep us, that you said you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for giving us promises of power. You said whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. You've come to back us up. You've come to encourage us. And Lord, we need that encouragement, each one today. I thank you, Lord. You also promised us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. So all these things that Satan's trying to do to us to attack us, our health, safety, traveling vehicles, finances, property, families, relationships, all of that stuff, Lord God, will be turned around for good because you said all things work together for good to those who love God. So we give you praise and we thank you that you keep us from becoming fearful. We thank you, Lord, that you've promised you'll never leave us. You'll come again, or coming again. And so guide us, give us wisdom, your wisdom, give us ears to hear it again, and give us your testimony, Father. We ask you now for these things in Jesus' name and bless the people who listen to us. Amen. Well, there's a long road to the cross, and it began, well, it's it's an eternal road, right? Since mm-hmm. before the foundation of the world. That's right. It began Jesus the, when, Christ mm-hmm. was the lamb slain from, from the, the foundation, foundation of the, the world. world from he before. was first introduced to this uh, this task as the head crusher back in Genesis chapter Three, Three. Verse, verse yeah. 15, yes. And so... Today we're going to be looking at the last days of Jesus right before he came to the cross, as it's very fitting, because that's the time of the year we're in right now. Yeah, we're starting in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now, interesting, that phrase, after all these sayings. Right. What were those sayings? This last week before, before he died, he, died mm-hmm. he was just really pouring it on as far as teaching and ministry straightforward. It began in chapter 23 of Matthew where he had this huge head-to-head confrontation with the Pharisees, and it's kind of parallel to what he... Uh, in John eight forty four, you are of your father the devil. But here he's talking about them, um, you know, and for the, their true colors, who they really are, what their really intentions really are. Um, he said, "You lay heavy burdens too hard to bear on those on men's shoulders, but you do not move them yourself." So he's talking about their hypocrisy, their legalism, their uh, weighty expectations, and and 
demands upon the people. And, you know, so he's he's seen this now for three and a half years. He's watched as the people have struggled under these legalistic burdens. Yes, and then Matthew 24, he predicts the destruction of the temple. And the end of he the world. He talks about the signs of the times and the end of the age. Mm-hmm. And and talks warns about uh, deception and the mm-hmm. conflict between nations and and uh, false prophets. Talks about the great tribulation that was coming. Yeah. Talks about the um, the basically the budding of the fig tree. The parable of the fig tree reference to Israel, and and says no one knows the day or the hour yes. when he is returning. And then he talks about two servants the faithful servant and the evil servant and how mm-hmm. how that all spells out. And then he talks about the wise and foolish versions. In the, the par- next chapter, yeah. And 25, the mm-hmm. parable of the talents. So he, and then the, uh, verse 20, uh, starting with verse 31 of Matthew 25 through the end of that chapter, he's talking about that uh, Jesus Christ, about he as the king will be the, the ultimate judge of all the nations. So we see this is just right before, I mean, like a day or two before he dies. So he's really ramping up his teachings. He's confronted the Pharisees. He's told us about the end of the age, the end of the world. And in uh, 25, he's really summing up where are you going to be, the five wise, foolish virgins. Then he said in 31, as you said, the sun comes in the glory uh, and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So right before he dies, he's telling us about what, what's how he's going to end up. He already knows he's coming in glory with the mighty angels of God. And yet in the next four or five days, he's going to be going through literally death and hell, literally. So um, going back to uh, Matthew 26, he says, um, you know that every two days is the Passover. The Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So he's clarifying again to his disciples what they don't want to hear. They don't want to know. It's just like it's hanging over their heads. He keeps saying he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. Whoa, that's pretty awful. And so they're having a hard time, I think, adjusting to this. So we have the Passover here, which is the culmination, one of the most festival times, festive times of their calendar. And they're going to Jerusalem and he's telling him all these negative things that they did not want to hear. He says in verse 3, Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest. Notice the high priest was living in a palace, mm-hmm. who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. So there, you have religious Jewish leaders uh, plotting to kill Jesus. Right. One but, of their own, supposedly. Yeah. But they said, verse 5, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So it's interesting. They didn't want to do it when you've got thousands and thousands of people mm-hmm. in Jerusalem for Passover. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't want to create a riot here. So they, But it ends up being that's when they take Jesus, right? During the Passover. Right. So they had to come up with a more subtle plan rather than just arresting him in public. Well, Jesus had many followers, and many of them were at the festival of the Passover, and they didn't want an uprising. They didn't want an insurrection. And so they were plotting to avoid that because they wanted to keep the peace there and just take him off privately and kill him without there being that uproar. But God had another plan because the timetable was that Jesus Christ, the Passover of the Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sins of the world had to die on the right day. And it's interesting that um, Passover was just come just days away, and but there was a provision in the Passover, um, like we have a provision, I guess, for absentee voting, that if they couldn't take the Passover on the day of the Passover, they could take it the night before. And that's why we have this Thursday evening Passover, because he couldn't do the Passover and be the Passover at the same time. And so we see that in spite of the Pharisees and Caiaphas and all these people um, plotting against him, that Jesus and God were working the schedule of the calendar a little bit differently. And so right before they move into the uh, Passover feast, uh, it says, verse 6, when Jesus was in Bethany, just you know, outside of Jerusalem, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flax, a very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head and sat, as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. To what purpose was this waste? Now, this is very expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. Verse 9, for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. You know, I have a question here. You know, it seems like it's a gathering, a last, kind of a last farewell to the people who had been most blessed by him. And I'm wondering if that Simon, I just thought of it now, that leper was the leper that came to Jesus in Mark chapter um, 1 and said, then a leper came to him imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Um, and Jesus moved with compassion, put out his hand, touched him and said to him, I'm willing to be cleansed. So Simon the leper, if he was a real leper and still a leper, he would never have been able to have a banquet. Nobody would have come. He was unclean. They surely right. wouldn't have eaten with him. So he was one of the um, uh you know, ones who had been touched and healed by Jesus. Yeah, so he was he was known as Simon the leper, but he, he wasn't was, leprous he was, anymore. He was the healed. He is the healed leper now, yeah. and uh, we understand there. It's the same. Bethany is the same uh, village where Lazarus mm-hmm. and Mary and Martha. Remember, they're brothers. And, yeah, brothers and sisters. Right, yeah. and so apparently, when you look at John chapter twelve, it talks about. Uh, Martha serving at this meal, but apparently she is serving, helping serve at the house of Simon the leper, leper at the same the ex-leper. town, <laughs> the ex-leper, where they uh, were living there in Bethany. And so, so it's then a it celebration. says it's Mary, yeah. it says Mary mm-hmm. is the woman who took the costly oil and anointed the feet of Jesus. Well, it's interesting, two things. First of all, you have the celebration of one raised from the dead and one cured of leprosy. These are two amazing and <laughs> wow. remarkable um, trophies of his victory and celebration. And then you have Mary. She does her part because she's been the one willing to sit at the feet of Jesus. And she really got it. And I believe she anointed him, uh, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit. She may not have known he was going to die in three days, although she probably had heard of it. But she was, or maybe she did. Maybe she's the only one who got it and says, we're going we're gonna to anoint you ahead of time uh, for your burial. And she was sensitive, very in tune with spiritually what was going on. It's interesting, at this dinner, like you said, Margie, a leper that was no longer a leper, basically that was considered an incurable disease. Right. And then, of course, death was considered incurable. A dead man who was alive. <laughs> a dead man who was alive and a <laughs> mm-hmm. leper who was completely healed there together at this uh, time. So and then, he was really making a statement here. He has was God, Lord over death and Lord over disease. 
And uh, this was a testimony to that. And I, I think this was part of the huge conflict between the Pharisees and the, and the elders because they couldn't do any of these things. They were powerless. They were impotent. All they had was their lies, their control, their threats, intimidation against the people to keep the people in line, to keep giving uh, them their power. But Jesus had the real power. Yeah, and of course the disciples are thinking, well, we we could have sold this for the poor. They're so pra- they're very practically minded, and it seemed like yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You could sell it and give it to the poor, but nothing is wasted when we when we when we worship put it on Je- it when we Jesus. worship Jesus. Yeah. It was an act of worship. Yeah, it really was to to the Lord, the King. So you have to realize that these are actually real people, real people who really live. This isn't just a story. I think unfortunately we kind of read the Bible as kind of, you know, second, third hand. It's, it's like these are real people who sat at real tables, who poured out oil, who ate real food, and they were in real places that really existed. This really happened. And so um, then we have, you know, the 12, one Judas was the one, of course, who, he was the one who was the, held the, the money. And he was the one who said, um, uh, came and he said, when, then he went to the chief priest and he said, well, let's get this, get this over. Let's, I'll be willing to give you, deliver him up to you because he must have known they wanted, somehow they wanted to get a hold of Jesus. Somehow they'd had that conversation. So, so he Ju- said he would be willing to do that. Yeah, so Judas was with Jesus, all right, in this ministry. Oh, I mean, yeah, for, the whole time. You know, three and a half years, the whole time, close to Jesus, heard his word, you know, received his love, but yet in his heart, and his heart was not truly really given over not, to Jesus, not right? Fully given over because he said, "What? What? Verse fifteen of Matthew sixteen. What are you willing to give me?" Mm-hmm. Says this to the uh, chief priests, mm-hmm. "If I deliver him to you," and they counted out him thirty pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So he was not obligated to carry out his promise and this deep secret in his heart that had been there working against him for many, many months, probably the whole time is now being birthed or brought forth. And uh, Jesus had said in his teaching, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses loses his own soul? soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of folks that, you know, Satan assumes that we have our price. If we sell out to him and his plan, and, and he doesn't necessarily say, well, this is my plan for you to destroy you. But a lot of people sell out cheap. They will just say, um, you know, um, Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Satan assumes that you have that you have a price, that uh, you're willing to sell yeah. out to Jesus, to betray Jesus. He thinks for, everyone has For a, a little price. bit of pleasure, mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit of power, a little bit of money, whatever it is. And so... But uh, he, for that time, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And you think of this too. Judas had been, um, you know, with Jesus, and and David spoke of this in Psalm forty-one. He said it was my own familiar friend mm-hmm. that betrayed me. Right. And a lot of times, I think all, all, many of us have experienced that. Yeah. People who were we thought very we could close count to us, on. thought we could trust. Were our and friends. we trusted him mm-hmm. for a long time. And all of a sudden, push comes to shove, and they're gone. They betray us. Maybe a, you know, a husband or a wife or, or a friend or someone in the church or a pastor. 
and you get betrayed. Right. And it, that's, that's hard. That's very hard. And it's very often. And what we have to do at that point in time is realize that we really cannot trust people. We have to trust in the Lord. We lo- we're commanded to love people, not trust them. So we love people and trust Jesus to make things all right, even when we're being uh, betrayed and, and turned over and, and there's treacherous, treasonous hatred and contempt against us. So then we have the next issue. Where are we going to have this Passover? Now, Jesus didn't have a place of his own, obviously. So when the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, was upon them, the, that's a seven-day feast where they clear out all the leaven and they have only unleavened bread for those seven days. It's previous. It's kind of part of the Passover fest festival. Um where we want to do this, he said, and he, he said to them something kind of vague. He said, go to the city to a certain man, didn't say what his name was, and say to him, the teacher says, my time has come to keep the Passover. I want to keep it. I will keep it at your house with my disciples. So the disciples said to Jesus, as he as, did as he directed them, and they went to find this man. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, okay, go to the, into the city and find a certain man. Okay, like, who's the certain man? How do you know? Mm-hmm. But somehow they they were able to find the right guy because he was the guy who had the water pot, wasn't that the one? Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was part of it. Yeah, he and said to them. It in says Luke, that in another. Yeah, he is says that Luke. He said in Luke. He said to them, "Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him mm-hmm. into the house which he enters, and tell the householder the teacher says to you, um, you know, where's the guest room that I may eat the Passover? Now this." is actually they believe that this man's house, that he was um, possibly Mark, the gospel writer Mark, possibly his father or his um, uncle, because they also thought that this might be the house of Barnabas, who shows up later in the gospel. The sister of Barnabas owned the house, which would be, and and Barnabas and Mark were uncle and and nephew. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a man who was aware of, part of, involved in, that ministry, but um, that doesn't come out in any statements here. It just seems to be more of the historical um, revelation. Well, one thing about reading the scripture, I think it's important if you can find in your Bible, a study Bible, a harmony of the Gospels, Mm -hmm. because it blends, it puts everything into sequence, because, you know, John says it a little differently than Luke says it, for example, here. Mm -hmm. And so... Well, and one one interesting thing about the man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Usually, the men never did this job. They never a, that carried was the woman's water. Work, right? Yeah, so <laughs> that would make the man pretty outstanding um, and easy to spot, I would imagine. So they they brought him to this guest room, which was in the in their house, whatever. Uh, it was the second floor, you know, the best room in the house. He, Jesus didn't ask for the best room, but they gave him the best room. Um, his upper story large upper upper room, as we know, um, and it was, you know, more private. Um, and in that room, it was prepared according to, um, I think it's Mark, who says, um, they'll show you a large upper room furnished and ready. They're prepared for us. In other words, the furniture was there, the couches, the tables, um, the everything that they needed was already there. All they had to do was go get the lamb. And what they would do in those days is they would get the lamb a, a, the day, or I think it was the day before the Passover, take it to the temple and have it slaughtered so that it would be, um, the, the blood would be offered at the temple and just as they were required to do. And then this would become their feast. And they usually had um, 
if the the feast had to have at least ten guests, there had to be at least ten people there enough to eat the lamb, and if there was um you know uh, more people, they would have to have another um bit of food to go on, but they all had to eat of the lamb until it was all consumed. That was part of the original um mandate from the Passover in the so, Old Testament. And many of us, you know, we've seen the picture of the 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 paintings, I should say, of the of the Passover where they're right. they're all sitting sitting on the chairs at, at the, the table, table all facing know, towards f- the camera. Facing the camera. <laughs> right. But basically what they did is basically it was kind of a U shaped mm-hmm. low table. Or couches. Yeah. Or like a couch and they would recline. They would they would basically be uh, on, like on one elbow or something, lay on their with side. their feet laying on their side, with their feet going away from the table, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a U-shaped uh, table. So it wasn't at all square. It wasn't rectangle. It wasn't all in one side. But the the seating arrangement was now the next issue, because who was the greatest? This became the dispute. Who was going to sit by Jesus? Who was the best? And I think this is where why this uh, this dispute became um, came up into the front. Um, he, so it says when that, when it was evening, he sat at the table, um, when the evening was come, the 12 came with them, um, and they were, and they said to him, um, you know, where do we sit? Okay. That makes sense. I mean, when you come into a house of a, of a guest, uh, of right. a guest, where do you want me to sit? It's kind of the thing. And I think this was really, um, just exactly what happened. Um, and so what happened? They began to fight over well, who was the greatest, yeah. right? Luke twenty two twenty four parallel passage. But there was also rivalry among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So this was this had been going on for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And then, then the, the greatest, <laughs> right? And bring it out here now, uh, and, um, and so and, one of the great the claims how they how they would figure out who's the greatest um, would go with age. First, the oldest, then the next. Uh, would be learning. These would be the chief claims to who was the most prominent to be seated at the table, who's the oldest and who's the smartest, basically. Um, and in, then he went on to say, the king of the Gentiles exercises lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Um, now, so here he's going to be doing a teaching on greatness, humility, serving, um, he said, the greatest among you becomes the, uh, become as the youngest and the leader is the one who serves. So he repeats almost word for word um, what they said in the other di- dispute. They've had this discussion before. Um, now, to the left of Jesus, there, Jesus sat uh, in the second spot from the end of the, the, the bottom of the horseshoe. So the, the left of Jesus, that seat was the most next honored to the chief. So the, the one who sat to the left would be considered... Um, the next best in line. Now, you you would think um, that would have been uh, the left of Jesus. You would think that would have been, well, of course it's going to be John or Peter, right? Well, guess who sat in the left to the left of Jesus? Judas. Right, Judas. Now, you know, I'm sure that he was the bully among them. And so he, not necessarily the oldest, but, you know, so he got that. But we know he got that spot because of later on when they're talking about who's who's going to betray you? John kind of wanted, Peter nudged, now Peter's across the table from John. Peter's on the other bottom of the horseshoe. John's on the other, the, the, the other bottom, if you think of a horseshoe, the two ends. And so Peter was talking, looking at John saying, who's, you know, Jesus talking about one of you is going to betray me as that's all discussion comes up later. 
Um, but we know that it was Judas who sat next to Jesus because he, Jesus said to Judas, kind of, uh, to John, he said, he whispered, he said, whoever I give this piece of bread to, whoever I dip it in the sop and give it to, that's who it is. He didn't make this a public statement. I always thought he did, but no, it was a whispered thing. And Jesus took the piece of bread, tuck it into the, the sauce, the soup, the butt, the gravy, whatever it was, and he handed it to Judas. Now, he could have only done that if Judas was nearby. He couldn't have done that if Judas was across the table because the table was too, you couldn't reach across it without laying on the table to get to the other side. So we know that Judas took the best spot. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and it says about Judas, you know, that the devil mm-hmm. had put in his heart, Judas's heart, mm-hmm. the desire to betray Jesus. And and it's interesting, though, in the midst of that, and we think of, we think of in First Corinthians eleven, Paul writes about about communion that the, the same night in which the Lord was betrayed, yeah. he took bread. Yeah. So, and, in spite of being betrayed, in spite right. of the, the adversity, the the sadness, the terror, in, in, he went forward. He went forward, and mm-hmm. it's interesting in John thirteen verse three, at the communion here, uh, the Lord's Supper. Basically, which is replacing the Passover. Right. Jesus so the, yeah. is mm-hmm. replacing the Passover lamb as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the and world. And he's replacing it with our now known communion or table of remembrance. So he switched them out right there. Right. He switched out the Old Testament for the New Testament. He tended to merge them, switched them, um, translated them. So now we have a new covenant. It, this was that where he instituted the new covenant written in his his blood, not the blood of the Lamb of the Old Covenant, but the blood of Jesus Christ, who is about to be sacrificed the very next day. And we note that, you know, though the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests were plotting to destroy him, one of his own familiar friends, so he thought, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, were, was there to betray him. and it, But yet, it looks like this is very a dark time, very dark. But yet... In John thirteen three, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into mm-hmm. his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. And then what does he do? He rose from supper and laid aside his garments, his outer garments, and took a towel and girded himself. Now, this is interesting. This is not part of the traditional Passover um, where they would take the basin and wash the feet. They'd usually wash the feet or the hands um, when they first came into the room, like you would wash your hands before supper. And, but, it w- and it w- the one that would do that foot washing was, was like a servant in the house, right, and it was right. the lowest servant, the mm-hmm. least of the servants in the house. Well, it's interesting how Jesus pulled in this foot washing, you know, go get me a basin, get me a towel, to just demonstrate what he had just said to them, let the the, the greatest among you um, for which is greater, he who sits at the table or the one who serves, is it not the one who sits at the table? But I am a one, among you as the one who serves. So he's showing his um, serving by washing their feet. This is the, like you said, the job of the lowest servant in the house. So he's taking the position of the lowest servant in the house to wash their feet and wash their um, their hands. Of course, their hands are getting washed while they're washing their feet. Um, and this was the demonstration of what he meant when he said, the last shall be first, the first last, serve the, the, the younger. Uh, if you want to be great, be the servant. Um, and that was, you know, kind of a a really, I would say, uh, it really had to affect all of them 
for their bickering, their fighting. Here you are at the, at the eve. The eve, it's like having a big fight on Christmas Eve. It's like, you know, they're not aware of what's really going on and they're all about themselves and he's, he's leaving. And they're still all about themselves and bickering about who's going to be the greatest. They don't even know what they're the greatest of. They don't even know yet, really. I don't think his teachings really had sunk in very well to most of them until after the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were just kind of following him, going through the motions, and um, still had to be taught. And this is a gentle yet powerful, mind-blowing rebuke to their pride, their ambition, all that sort of thing. Right. Because he laid aside his it's garments. like shocking. Mm-hmm. It's just a whole new paradigm. What are you doing, them. Jesus? Who are you? I mean, he, he says, you, you're doing what the lowest servant would do. You're, yeah. And he says in John 13, he says, uh, do you not know what I have done to you? Mm-hmm. He says, you call me in, in John 13, 13 and following. You call me teacher and Lord and, and you say, well, so I am. Okay, I'm the teacher, I'm your example, I'm your Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Right. So he says, I've, I've given you this example. And so this is not just about but washing you feet. You know, sometimes in the church there might be a, a foot washing service of a show of humility and repentance and stuff like that, literally washing somebody's feet. And that might have its place. But he's saying about basically the principle of servanthood, being willing to take the lowest mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. even though you are... A person of authority. And it's a symbolic act. And the interesting yes. thing about this is that he's really um, putting down the idea of a hierarchy. You know, oh. there's the pastor, then there's the deacons, the elders, and then there's the lowly people. And then at the very back, there's the one who can barely raise their eyes and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's, there's not this kind of distinction. Jesus is saying here, you can be the greatest by being the servant. Um, not many people are fighting over that position, though, to give the cup of cold water, to get up uh, um, and, and um, you know, uh, do something kind for someone else, you know, to um, even to seat them at the table or to um, be patient uh, when the food is being passed around. I mean, it's just like, okay, so we need to remember there's no, you know, there's no hierarchy with Jesus. Everyone, everyone has the same opportunity to have the greatest um, position with Jesus Christ, which is to be the servant, to be the one who gives, to be the one who um, lays down his life as well, like Jesus, to to copycat Jesus, to lay down his life for Jesus. And so they're missing it completely. And this would be kind of, if, if I were in this position, I would be kind of concerned that my guys aren't getting the whole point yet. They're not getting the point at all. And so this was a pretty... Uh, powerful, I think, example. What are you doing, Jesus? Why aren't we going with the Passover? Why, why do we interrupt it here with this foot washing? And then Peter, of course, he has his resistance because, oh, I'm, you know, don't do that to me. Oh, you know, he had sort of a, uh, a kind of a idea of humility. Oh, don't, you know, I'm not worthy, Lord. You know, da da da. Don't wash my feet. And Jesus is basically saying, submit. <laughs> if I don't get to wash your feet, you know, um, you can't have a part with me. So. 
Here we see our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living God, the one true God, the creator of the world, stooping down not only to um, wash the feet of his creatures, his creation, uh, but also the next day laying down his life for those and for you know, some of them who didn't appreciate it, didn't understand it, weren't uh, able to comprehend it at that point. He had to go forward and do it anyway, whether they understood or not. And that's the problem. A lot of times we're called to do things by God that we just have to do, whether people believe it, appreciate it, approve of it or not. You you have to answer to God. God is the one you answer to and you're not ranked. I'm not competing. Here we see they're competing. I am not competing with any one of you or anyone else, great or small, not competing to be better in the kingdom of God, competition, uh, and, and, and like we set it up, trophies, competition, uh, first place, whatever, whatever, that is not even understood in the kingdom of God. They don't understand that because the last will be first, the least will be the greatest. And so you should be fighting for the last position if you want to be great and not compare ourselves, not try to compete with, just fulfill the call on your life. Not what, you know, the, the preacher is expecting you to do or what you think, uh, you know, you're expected to do. But according to what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, just be obedient, be faithful, and you will be great. And you will find yourself in that place you greatly desire to be, which is at the feet of Jesus in heaven with him. Um, and what could be better? Yeah, Galatians 5.13 says, through love, serve one another. Mm-hmm. And, and really at the at the end of this, uh, Jesus is communicating to his disciples. And this is really what it's about. This is what service is about. It's about love. It's true love, the love of Christ that, that serves and lay down, lays down one's life for others. John thirteen thirty four and 35, a new commandment I give you to you, mm-hmm. that you love one another right. as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for this is one um, powerful because at another. this place with this foot washing you know it's like having a sometimes they have an illustrated sermon where the preacher does something and it, it's very powerful and you can remember what he said because of the illustration after he had just poured out washed their feet this powerful illustration then he comes with this verse here yes. the new commandment now he's now he transitioned the passover into communion now he's transitioning the 10 commandments into the love. love commandment so it's being upgraded here a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i have loved you that means including laying down your life for them and this is now the the the, the criteria for knowing god is to love god and keep that commandment which is to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself and if you do that you will have kept all Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments never commanded anybody to love anybody. They didn't. It just said, don't kill them. You know, be, don't steal from them. Don't take their wives. You know, obey them, whatever their parents. But it never forced anybody. You can't force anybody through a law to love. Love has to come out of the heart. And so Jesus said, I'm giving you a commandment. It's a new commandment. It's a commandment you can choose or not choose to keep. And that is to love one another. And in loving one another, you are loving God and, and fulfilling. So this was a big statement 
that had never really been clarified. He was clarifying a lot of things that were still very confusing to them. Well, are we supposed to do the Passover? Are we supposed to still keep the Ten Commandments? And he's transitioning all of this. And then when he gets all done with that, then he goes back to the betrayal. And then he says in John, um, he says, um, I am not speaking of all of you. I, I know whom I've chosen. So he says, I'm not, I've been tricked here. I know who, who's in this bunch. It is, it is that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And the scripture was, Psalm 41, 9, that he who ate bread with has lifted up his heel against me. Of course, that happened to, to David, King David. That happens to the great ones. And all of us uh, have been betrayed. We all have been betrayed somehow. And we're shocked. And we're sad. And we're tempted to be very angry and upset. In the midst of all this, in John thirteen three again, Jesus knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going to God, even in the midst of the betrayal here, he knows Mm -hmm. who he is, where he's going. He knows the plan. He knows the purpose. He's he's, he's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He knows that this betrayal is leading to the cross. The cross is leading to victory. The cross, including the resurrection and the ascension, and the time will come when he will return Mm -hmm. to judge all people. So we see that Jesus Christ is very intentional. He is absolutely every word, every moment, every... um, is he's intentional. He knows what he's doing. He knows who he's chosen um, and to fulfill the scripture. And he's, he, he's not shocked. Um, truly, truly says, he who receives anyone I send receives me. So he kind of culminates gathering it together. If you receive a broken man, a leper, uh, if you receive them, and if they receive you, if they, then they've received Jesus Christ. As we, he says, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So um, this is the criteria. He receives anyone whom I send receives me. So as we go, uh, sent by Jesus, then we come into that place of also um, receiving and being received by the Lord God. So we have this betrayal. We have the, 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 the um, incredible drama that's going on. And we also know that there is going to be um, yet more to come. But we, again, Jesus is super intentional. He knows exactly what's going to happen, who's going to betray him, what's next. So, Father God, we thank you for this incredible gift, um, your word, and the very powerful descriptions of what happened and who was involved, the various players in this drama that was uh, the, the culmination of the ages, Father God. So I pray that even now as we meditate upon these things this week, that you'll even make it more real, more powerful to us, that this is real. This really happened. It happened for a purpose. Everything here happened for a purpose. And that we can be as great, as committed, as involved, as loved, as wise, as participating in your glory, in your plan for our life, as we want to be. So cause us to want to be fully committed, fully absorbed, fully given over to your purposes and your plans, even in our lives these days. In Jesus' name, Help us, Lord, by love that we will serve one another, Lord, that that you have called us as sons and daughters and servants and help us to serve you faithfully. Lord, any treachery that's in our hearts, take it away. 
that we will be fully devoted yes, to God. you in all things. Yes, we pray God. this, Father, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And we also encourage you to check us out at liferecovery.com for other teaching uh, books, uh, materials available, blogs, encouragement. And please also sh- share this link with your friends. It's time that we um, understand the truth and move forward. So help us. And God bless your day. Bless your week. Be safe in Jesus Christ. You are known and loved by God. Amen. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.